When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a best of edition of the Clark Howard podcast. I hope you enjoy it. We are here to give you the best information that our head and our heart says is available for you and your wallet. Have a great weekend. I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Something we deal with in our lives, all of us at some point, the healthcare system. And the No Surprises Act, which became law last year, is something that I'm surprised, but almost nobody knows that the law exists. In fact, one survey I saw said that less than 15% of Americans had even heard of the No Surprises Act. I want to tell you what it means to you and your wallet. Also on today's show, how much, if anything, have you been able to put aside in an emergency fund? We're going to talk about that. So the No Surprises Act was passed and took years to go into effect because people who have insurance and go in network for care can end up getting stray medical bills that are now, in most cases, illegal. And survey says one in five people typically, survey was done by Morning Consult, one in five people have been hit with a surprise medical bill. The idea of this is let's first deal with emergencies. If you have a true emergency and you go to a hospital not in your network, you were supposed to be billed based on what it would be in your network. But that's not the main part of this. The main part of this is you seek medical care in network. You're having, let's say, a surgery in network. But then no knowledge that you would have, no way for you to know, they use an anesthesiologist who's not in your network, or they use a lab not in your network, or they do anything in there with a medical professional not in your network. Before the No Surprises Act went into effect a year ago, what would happen is you would be balanced billed. Because that out-of-network professional that you didn't know was going to be part of your care and you had no choice in selecting would send you a massive bill for being out-of-network. So the No Surprises Act said not anymore. Unfortunately, though, a lot of people in the medical community are still confused about how it's supposed to work. And the law is complicated, and so I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. In fact, at the suggestion of uh, Lori, who runs our Team Clark Consumer Action Center, she said, go read some of this stuff that's being posted about lab bills, where someone goes to a doctor 
who's in network and then the doctor sends it to an out of network lab and then the out of network lab bills you out of network instead of following those surprises well what was fascinating from Lori's suggestion was i went and read all these trade journals that were for the lab industry and they were written they don't care about us they were written to the labs about how they're supposed to do no surprises because guess what the lab has no way of knowing that you were at an in-network place and that no surprises were supposed to apply. So they're going to send you an out-of-network bill, not in bad faith, but in good faith, and you're the one who has to tell them, no, 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 I was in-network, it went out-network, so you can't balance bill me. The burden falls back on you and me to make sure that the No Surprises Act works for us and The problem is it's really, really complicated for the providers who would end up being outside your network. They're not allowed to bill you, but they don't have a way of knowing they're not allowed to bill you. And since the overwhelming number of people in the country don't even know no surprises exist, you end up paying a balanced bill that you're not legally liable for. That's a crazy loop, right? So just know that the No Surprises Act does not eliminate all situations where you would have to pay a bill. As an example, you have a non-emergency situation, you go to an out-of-network provider, you're going to pay the out-of-network prices. You're not going to get the benefit of being able to pay in-network if you, of your own choice, go to an out-of-network provider. On the other hand, When it's a situation you don't know and you had nothing to do with the fact that your care involved someone or something out of network where you went to an in-network provider or an in-network facility or an in-network hospital, that's when no surprises comes directly into play and protects your wallet, but only protects your wallet if you advocate for yourself. Did I get that at all? Did I explain? That's such a hard one. You felt like, okay. I know it will generate questions. Susan in Texas says, I keep seeing insurance charging two co-pays for the same incident. And this, is this allowed? For instance, my husband's car was damaged in a recent ice storm. The same tree branch shattered the windshield and the sunroof. And insurance is treating that as two separate claims. They're charging us two co-pays. No, no. Same vehicle. It was one vehicle gets damaged by the same tree branch in the same storm. That is one deductible, one copay, not two. So call your state department of insurance and get their help with the insurer trying to double bill you for that damage to the vehicle. Also, she says, last year I had an ER visit, I'm okay now, and they charged me two copays, one for the hospital visit. I was an outpatient and did not stay overnight and another for radiology. This seems like a sneaky way for insurance to gouge their customers. I hate to tell you that it's it's a different situation. It's the same incident. You had care in a hospital, and you had the outside services of the radiologist. The radiologist, in the example I gave, if the hospital you were at was in network, or the ER visit was an emergency and you end up being kept, even if the hospital was out of network, It's built-in network, and the radiologist is built-in network. But yes, they would both have their own copay. Insurance is 
is messy, isn't it? It's so complicated. Brian in Oregon says, you offered some wonderful advice that I would like to echo. It's concerning obtaining a second opinion on medical issues. I was diagnosed in the fall of 2021 with cirrhosis of the liver and failing kidneys. This was due to a disease called NASH, non-alcoholic. I'm not going to try to pronounce that. I was tested for a possible transplant, but was denied the transplant. I was told I only had two to three months to live. I lived past my expiration date, and upon advice from my family physician, we sought a second opinion and found the Mayo Clinic in Phoenix. On August 4th, 2022, I was given the gift of life from a deceased donor, a second chance at life, and more time to play with my grandchildren, travel, and to serve, and more time to listen to your podcasts. The doctors, that nurses, was the punishment part, right? <laughs> listen doc- to the podcast. The doctors, nurses, and lab techs at Mayo are fantastic. Thank you so much for your great example. This is so ironic, but a neighbor of mine who was also facing death went to the Mayo Clinic. In her case, they have the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, the main campus, and then in Jacksonville, Florida, and then in Scottsdale, Arizona. That was the one where Brian was treated. He said Phoenix, but it's in Scottsdale. Same idea. And she went to Mayo, and they saved her life. Now, the Mayo Clinic is not like a magic pill that's going to overcome everything, but they practice medicine in a completely different way than medicine is normally practiced in the United States. They are great at what they do because of the systems they use and the way medical professionals there, it's just the culture. They all work together in concert to treat a patient. And you think about in this case where Brian had both kidney failure and liver failure. Normally, hospitals would just, and medical professionals would say, gosh, go have a nice life. Make sure your will's up to date. Mayo was able to save him. And my father, I I haven't talked about this in a long time, but he died back in the 1980s. And he died at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester. And you'd think that with him having died there, that we as family members, because the bad outcome would have a bad opinion of Mayo. We were so impressed with the care there that I have a brother who used to live in Arizona and now, ironically enough, lives in Jacksonville Beach, Florida. And he and his wife have been Mayo ever since the experience they saw with my father's care at Mayo in the 1980s, because it is a different level of care than generally you'll find in American medicine. That's said by a, a layperson who I've said repeatedly, I have no medical aptitude at all, but I understand humans and I understand the culture they have there, and it was superior. And so I'm so glad that they were able to save your life. Sarah in Indiana says, I'm about to graduate from grad school and start my healthcare career. I keep seeing ads for physician mortgage loans, which advertise no PMI and little down payments required for physicians and advanced practice providers. Will we end up paying a higher rate if we buy a house under a physician loan? Are there egregious fees associated with such a loan? Going this route will help my husband and I buy a home sooner, but we don't want to get scammed. Is it too good to be true? So it's not a scam. And it's not perfect. So physician loans are a special category of loans different than conventional loans because doctors graduate from medical school usually with massive obligations. It's not at all unusual for them to have 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loans from medical school. Plus, they have a shorter work cycle than normal earthlings because they tend to have had to stay in school and internship and residency and fellowship till they're past their 30th birthday, where the rest of us have been able to earn income from our late teens or early 20s forward. So they have 10 years less to earn money. They have huge financial obligations, and they've got a shorter time to make all that money. On the other hand, doctors tend to make a much higher than average income in the United States. So there are lenders that make these physician loans where they waive normal requirements. You may not have to pay any private mortgage insurance. They waive down payment, all these things. But you will have a ARM, adjustable rate mortgage, instead of a fixed rate. So this is kind of like a way station loan that you would want to have for typically five, seven, or 10 years, whatever the fixed rate is. By then, your finances hopefully have improved, and then you can refi into a conventional loan and use the physician mortgage as a way station on your way to a good permanent loan. And again, we talk a lot about doctors, and we got a lot of comments from doctors who don't like a lot of what I say. I want to tell you, I really appreciate the dedication, the intelligence, and the long years of study that ultimately go in to serving patients, improving the health of patients, and keeping patients alive. Coming forward, how are you doing with your emergency fund? There's new data out that Americans aren't doing as well with that as they were, and we got to talk this through. I want to know if you were to get hit with a sudden curveball in your life, your vehicle needs a repair, the water heater goes out at your house, AC goes out, surprise, somebody gets sick and you have a medical bill you weren't anticipating, whatever it is where you have a need for your rainy day account. Because, you know, financially, there's always going to be times that it's raining. And so how are you prepared? Well, Bankrate Forever has done an annual survey and found that the number of people who can handle that financial oops stays typically in the 40-some-odd percent of Americans, that if they got hit with a surprise, and there are different surveys, there's another organization does one, could you handle a $400 surprise expense? Bankrate does 1000 And so, again, in their survey, not quite half, a little less than half of people could handle that unexpected emergency. The number of people, though, who are really wheezing financially has been rising because we as Americans, and I've talked about this as long as I've done this all the way back to the 1980s, we in the United States do not save culturally, our cultural makeup We don't save like people do in other cultures. And recently, Americans have been saving a very, very small amount of their pay. Part of that is recent inflationary pressure in the economy. But outside of people who are living truly paycheck to paycheck, it is cultural. Because people in countries where people don't make nearly what we make and don't have the standard of living we do, they save 
so often a third of what they make. In the United States, we usually are saving somewhere around five cents to six cents of every dollar we make. Tiny compared to other cultures. We have always been a here and now, enjoy it today because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. And I look at it the opposite. I look at it more like other cultures that we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And a lot of times it's going to bring an oops of some kind. And we need to be prepared for it. But the fact is, a lot of us in the United States, it's just not, we're not wired that way. So how do we pay for that emergency? We use credit cards or payday loans or something like that. I mean, one in four people are willing to admit to pollsters that's how they'd handle an emergency. So you know it's actually higher than that, but that's the percent that will admit, oh yeah, I just pull out the card. And then you're paying the highest interest rates on average we've ever had on credit cards right now. So I ask you to do something. And that is, if you are listening to me and you know you couldn't handle that oops, because oops happen. They happen. I'd like you to start saving something every paycheck. Let's keep it simple. 10 bucks a paycheck goes into a savings account with an online bank. And your employer probably allows split deposits of direct deposit where you can have money go into your regular checking account wherever you do your banking. And then you have an amount you divert into a savings account with an online bank, or it could be a credit union, not at a regular bank, then you could have that money steadily build up over time and build up that rainy day account so that when the rain comes, you're not having to borrow it 20% more or less interest. You have the money you've put aside that helps you deal with that rainy day. This is completely up to you how you choose to have your finances done. But I ask you to think it through in your past. Something happens. Something you don't expect happens. How do you deal with it? And being prepared to deal with that unexpected makes dealing with the aftermath of the unexpected so much easier for your wallet. Krista? I'm going to start with this one, Caleb in Florida. He says, Dear Clark, I'm 12 years old. My grandpa has been teaching me about finances, and he recommended for me to go to you for the best advice. The only money I get is on birthdays and holidays. Grandpa has always told me to save as much as I can. I want to invest $300 to start and keep adding my money until I am 16 years old to purchase a truck. Please help me overcome this challenge with your wisdom. Okay, First of all, I love this beyond measure that you're holding on to this money and that you want to build it up and have the ability in four years to buy that truck. So you can't invest that money. I love investing. And if you had money you were willing to invest for the long term, I've got something I'd want you to do. And I'll mention this for other preteens and teens. I'd want you to go open an investment account with Fidelity Investments and put money into their total stock market zero fund. But in your case, you can't do that because you're going to need the money in four years and you can't invest in the stock market for the short-term kind of need you have that's four years away. 
So if it was money you could put aside for longer, take that $300, you'd open an account at Fidelity and invest it. But because it's for the car, the truck, you need to put the money into the best earning savings account you could do. Or you could even put money at a place like Fidelity and put it in their money market fund where you'd earn 4.5% right now. And that's much better than you could earn uh, most any bank in the country, better than you could earn a credit union. I mean, that would work. So Fidelity may be the best answer. And you'd need grandpa's help or someone else to open that account. But they allow a younger person to have an account with them, an investment account. And you could put a little bit of money in that Fidelity total stock market zero fund and put the rest in the Fidelity money market fund. Now, I want you to learn what these things are because you're motivated and you're at an age that is great to learn. I was reading an interview with one of the top investment gurus last week that I read in the Financial Times. And when did he start learning how to invest? How old was he? He's now an older man. Yes, Krista. 10. 10 is the, Did you read it? No. 10 years old. You're 12. I mean, you absolutely today have access to so much more information than he had when he was 10. There was no internet. There were no computers, nothing like that. So read up, go to fidelity.com. Read about the Fidelity Zero Funds, read about the Fidelity Money Market Funds, and see why that's where I'd like you to get started, because you've got that great motivation of holding on to your money, building for a goal, that truck. I can tell you're someone who, over the long haul, is going to really live that kind of life where you set your goals and build towards them. And Michael in Oklahoma says, I am soon to be finishing my graduate degree and moving from Tulsa, Oklahoma to Boston, Massachusetts area. I do not like the idea of renting since rent's nearly the same cost as a monthly mortgage. I've been saving up quite a bit of money in a high yield savings account for a down payment. What's your suggestion on how I should proceed with either renting or buying? I plan to stay in this area a minimum of five years. If you do suggest to rent for a longer term than six months, what should I do with the money I have saved up? Thank you for all that you do. I've been maxing out my Roth IRA every year since I spoke to you on air my senior year of high school six years ago. Isn't that fantastic? I so mean, Michael, a repeat listener. How about that, Michael? All right. So I want you to rent for six months. How, how you knew I was going to say that by how you phrased it with the six-month rental. Because the Boston metro area is so many micro communities you get to uh one of the nation's larger metro areas and there are so many different places you might find you'd actually enjoy but getting into a home in a neighborhood when you're not truly familiar with a large metro area like boston getting into a home and then later saying oops i don't like this neighborhood i don't like this street i don't like this part of town is very costly So you rent for six months, and then you figure out where you really want to be, and then you buy. And so it's fine for you to buy if you're at par where rents are so equivalent to purchase. I like for a purchase cycle to be seven years or longer, but five years you can do. You just got to understand there's more risk 
at five than there is at seven or more. And from Gerard in North Carolina, I searched for a retirement calculator on your site, but it just gives Social Security retirement. Is there a site or calculator you'd recommend? The Fidelity site has one, but it's not comprehensive. And I suspect we'll always say, not enough, invest more with us. Am I too cynical? And just so you know, I did bring this up with our team, and we're going to try to come up with something with you to create a retirement calculator on our site. Ooh, it's complicated because you got to do Monte Carlo analysis. So, Gerard, if you're not familiar with Monte Carlo uh, modeling, it is something where as you're building up money for the future, it takes into account the what-ifs and the probabilities that at some point on your ride, and especially if it's close to when you're retiring, the risk that your money will be devastated by a decline or a long-standing bear market has to be accounted for. So Monte Carlo modeling takes in all the variables and gives you really solid guesstimates about what you've got to save to achieve your long-term goals. And you are not being cynical. You are right that in the financial services industry, there's a big bias towards getting you to over-invest because that's how they make their money is by having your money invested with them. It's not as much a problem as you might think, though, because human behavior being what it is, people tend to significantly underinvest the money they need for their long-term future. But you can also, for free, in addition to paying for a Monte Carlo analysis, Financial Engines is the organization that really popularized everyday individual investors being able to do this. Now they've become more a corporatized kind of vehicle, but you can try from various financial sites their analytical tools. They're all going to come up with a different wrinkle, different angle, but I'd say if you try three or four of these, you'll have enough information to have a real sense blending the, the results they have of where you need to go with your money. Just know it is a meaningful risk long term that you face when you're in the five years leading up to retirement, if the market does cave in that last cycle of your working life. And I want to thank you so much for joining us today. If you're enjoying our podcast, I hope you'll rate it and review it wherever you listen or watch. And don't forget to subscribe because we are here to serve you with our podcast five days a week, giving you what we hope is excellent, actionable information for your wallet. Have a great day.